0: Good morning, New Hope. Jeff, Kathy, thank you for that. Hope everybody's doing well. You guys okay? Enjoying the sunshine? Well, hey, very good. This morning we are uh, wrapping up actually a sermon series we're working through called "Awkward." And what we've been doing the last several weeks is is talking about how to how to talk to people in a natural way about our faith, talking to people about about Jesus in a way that doesn't doesn't weird other people out and doesn't feel unnatural and awkward for for us. And I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Uh, we've covered some good topics such as is how to have conversations and not just presentations. and And last week uh, Gabe was up here and shared about being authentic and real and, and how our life needs to match our message. So so some great topics if you've missed, you can go back on Facebook or other places and, and check, uh, check those out. Uh, before we jump into our topic today though, I just wanna circle back around and, and just as, as one of the pastors here, just express how excited I am for the things going on in the life of the church. Uh, You know, we just had summer break party last weekend. Uh, Pastor Jacob here talking about the students gonna go to Chicago this summer and and serve there and and support's being raised and the team's getting ready for that. And, And later this month, Love Adele Day, which Tim was up here talking about. These are all things we're doing outside the walls of the church to bless other people. And that's so important. It's such some, sometimes something that, that is easy to get forgotten about in a local church. So I just want to, great job, New Hope. Great job being a part of that and leaning in on that. And, and I know we just received the connection cards as well. But we have, you know, there's future Sundays a chance to to sign up for a team and be a part of that Love Adel Day. Because it's going to be a great time of, of serving together. Uh, also coming up, I want to mention this. Awkward has been a lot of fun, but next Sunday we start a new sermon series. Here is the artwork for it. It's called "My Crazy Family." Not about you, but I think every family's got a little crazy in it, right? There's a little bit of layers, and some of you are like, "There's a lot of crazy actually in my family." But uh, we're going to take several weeks and talk about family. We're going to take a week and talk about marriage. We're going to talk about uh, discipling your kids or grandkids, nieces or nephews, whatever the case may be, of of how to capture moments in life and to be able to leverage those to invest in kids. Uh, We're going to be talking about the secret to family unity you know, families go through stuff. Families hit bumps along the road. So how do they stay together and how do they work through all that, even thrive through those kinds of situations? And then one Sunday we're going to take head on, and I'm very excited about this one personally, but we're going to take on the topic of family and social media and technology, screen time. And, you know, because this is something that's impacting. When I was growing up, we didn't have all this stuff, and they do today. And so how does the family navigate that? And what do the scriptures have to say about that? And what are some tools and tips and things that we can use to help our kids, help ourselves, even as adults, to work through some of those topics? So very excited with that starting next Sunday, which is also Father's Day. So it's going to be a great Sunday uh, uh, together for that. And today... Don't forget, right after this service, we're doing our next leaders together huddle. So if you don't have plans, uh, we actually have food for you. We're going to feed you at this huddle. And so if you want to stick around, uh, that would be fantastic. Here's, if you're like, what's a huddle? I know what that is. We take 45 minutes, once every six to eight weeks, and we get together. It's for leaders, but it's also for anybody in the church. And we talk about where we're going as a church. We talk about what's next. Uh, I'll do some training as well. We're going to be talking about life cycles today and and, and getting into that and how that impacts ministry and how that impacts us as a church. It's a hard stop, 45 minutes, though, and we we, we squeeze everything out of those moments. So please know you're welcome to stick around for the huddle, which will start right after uh, this service. Okay, all that out of the way. Awkward. Awkward. We're going to be talking today about this question. Imagine you're in a scenario. Imagine you're at work, neighborhood, doesn't matter where you're at. And somebody comes to you with this question. They say to you, I just would like to know, how do I get right with God? How do I get right with God? What do I do? My question for you is, how would you respond to that question? What would you say? What what would you do? I mean, some of you, you might be thinking, well, first I'd break into a cold sweat. Uh, and then second, I would speed dial my small group leader and, like, hand the phone over and be like, here, talk to them. Or something like that, right? There, any, because it's like, I, I don't know what I would do in that situation. That can feel a little bit scary. But, you know, it's an important question. Because how you and I respond to that question could make an eternal difference in the life of somebody else. We need to be ready. We need to be ready to respond to, to that question that may uh, come your way and come my, my way. This is an important thing to do, uh, to talk about. So in the book of Acts, we actually had a situation that was just like that. Acts chapter two. Here's the setting. It's Pentecost, and the disciples are in Jerusalem, and there's a lot of people in town. And uh, the Holy Spirit shows up and begins to move among the people, and the the, the, the people the disciples are, are are just moved by the Spirit. And Peter gets up, and Peter kind of goes out into the crowd in an impromptu manner, begins to give this sermon. He begins to to talk to people about Jesus and this this message, and the crowd is is captivated. They're completely taking it in, and like a lot of people are there, and 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 Peter gives the message, and then God shows up and does what God does. He just began to work on people's hearts. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, verse 37, because you have this moment where the message ends, and this is what happens next. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Essentially, they're asking the very question I started the message with, how do we respond to this? I mean here Jesus did all this, you explained the cross, you explained who he is. What what's next for us? What do we do? Now if you were Peter that day or you were there, how would you respond to that question? And it's the same today. Maybe somebody at work or a friend or a neighbor comes to you and asks the same question. What do you say? And do you are you do you feel prepared to answer that question? You know, I don't know about you, but I think that the question that we're looking at here and the question we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, I just don't, I don't see many people asking that question anymore. And I won't do it by a show of hands, but we could do a poll here in the room and say, how many of you have just been asked that question? Just kind of like cold turkey, here it is, and somebody just comes to you and says, how do I get right with God? I don't know about you, but I just don't see a lot of people asking that question anymore. And this is just my opinion, so count it for whatever that's worth. My opinion is that most people aren't asking about how to be saved because most people think they already are. They just do. It falls into categories like, well, I was an altar boy growing up, or I pray sometimes, or I go to church, or I'm a good person. And so we have these different pictures in our minds of what it means to be saved. But notice, though, just because somebody's spiritual doesn't mean they're a follower of Jesus. There's a, very diff- there's a world of difference between the two. But for us here this morning, I want to just to set the stage, take us to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Because here's the imperative and what we need to take seriously as we think about this idea of awkward and naturally sharing our faith. It's this, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. And here it is, always be prepared. Always be prepared for what? Well, to give an answer to everyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But of course, do this with gentleness and respect. So my question this morning is, do you feel prepared? If you feel ready for the question? This is, this is about being obedient to this command. This is about stewardship. This is about saying, God, use my life. And so in preparation for that moment that you just might bring, I want to get ready. And so here's how we're going to close out this sermon series. This morning, I want to give you almost like a toolbox I want to open up. I want to share with you three tools that you can use in your own life. Now, there's all kinds of things we could talk about when it comes to, to sharing faith. I just picked three. They're not necessarily the most important three, but there are three that, that you, can, you can take and you can apply it naturally into your life today. These are three tools that are not awkward, in other words. They're things that you can just incorporate to your life and use in a natural way, and you'll find them to be effective. And that's my encouragement to you. As we go through these three, and hopefully you have a bulletin and you can fill in the blanks here and, and get these captured, is that you would pick one, maybe two, and you say, you know what, I wanna apply this to my life now and today. So that I am better prepared when somebody just might ask me for the reason, for the hope that I have. So that's our game plan. So let's go ahead and get started. Here's tool number one. This one may surprise a little bit, but here it is. Listen and ask questions. Those are your fill in the blanks. Listen and ask questions. See, this is about getting to know someone. This is about having conversations with people and not just eager to share a presentation that you might have with someone. See, what happens oftentimes is that most people, most of the time, like to talk about themselves. You probably found that to be true. And so when you come and you, and you listen and ask questions, what you're doing is you're communicating love to the, that person. See, when you listen, you communicate, I care. And when you ask questions, what you communicate is your story, your background, your questions matter to me. It's a way that you learn, learn where they're coming from. You learn their spiritual journey up to that point. You learn better how to pray for someone. You learn better kind of where they're at in their faith so that you know how better how to respond to them. Listening and asking questions is so important. Sometimes we as the church, we need to close our mouth a little bit more and open our ears a little bit more. Sometimes we just need to engage in that conversation because that's really where people are at today. They're open to conversing. They're not open to being talked to or at. That's the difference. Let me give you one example. This is an example I've found over the years in my own life. and just interacting with people, I have found that people have strong opinions about church. Have you noticed that before? People have strong opinions about the church. Either either strongly like I hate the church, I was burned out in the church, I was hurt by the church. Or maybe on the other extreme, I love the church and I'm plugged in the church and this is where I want to be. And everything in between. But there are typically strong opinions about church. And just by listening and asking questions, I have found over the years, just personally, it doesn't make this right, but I have found that people tend to fall into four different categories when it comes to church. Now, learning this is helpful because it's learning where people are at when it comes to this topic, at least. But here are the four areas, just to give you an example, because as you interact with people, you're going to find probably the same thing. Like, for example, here's the first category you'll find people can fall into. First is no church experience. (coughs) <coughs> no church experience. What does this mean? These are people that believe it or not, even here in 2019 in Adel, Iowa, people have, there are people that have never been to church. There are people that have never stepped foot into a church. They have no idea what a church even is, what it's like when they, when, when they would possibly show up, what happens in a church, they have no idea. And more than that, maybe it's hard to believe, but it's true that there are people in our community who don't know who Jesus is. That's the case. We live in a post-Christian culture and that will only increasingly be the case. I remember at the last church I served at, it was the week of Easter, and we at that church, we had community service uh, teens that would come in, ordered by the court. We were just one of the locations they could come and work off community service. It was the week of Easter, and there was a teenage boy, 17, 18, kind of an older high school boy in there, and striking up a conversation, the office manager with him, and said, hey, thanks for coming in to this boy. You know, it's a busy week. We're getting ready for Easter and and all that. He said, oh, really, what's Easter? Kind of threw her off guard. Like, what do you mean, what's Easter? Well, Easter is where we, we celebrate Jesus. And he said, who's Jesus? Does he go to the church? No idea. Never heard of Jesus. Didn't know about Easter, didn't know about Jesus. And the office man, it just completely threw her off. But it was a good reminder that this is where some people are at. They don't know. They have no church experience. And people you interact with, just by listening asking questions, you may find out much the same that they're in that place. Here's another category you might find people. They've had a bad church experience. These are people that have gone through something very painful in a church, uh, something hurtful, something where uh, trust was broken or, or an event happened or something happened to them, and it hurt. And maybe they took a break for, for, from a church for a while, or maybe they still have not been willing to go back. Uh, this is a difficult one because oftentimes these people, they're hard to reach. They're hard to encourage to come back into community because they've had a bad experience. And there has to be a lot of repair work that takes place here before a person in this place is willing to come back into a local church. Maybe some of you, maybe coming to New Hope was a big step because of something you'd been through in the past. But again, listening, asking questions, you learn about this. How about this one? We have people that are in transition. And I would argue in Adel, there are a lot of people like this. What this means is that people are transitioning either into a new community or they have some kind of transition in their life with that and and they have a positive view of church but they haven't connected with the church for one reason or another and so they're open to church they're open to be invited into a church to come and be a part of things but here's the key they don't want to come alone they don't want to come by themselves I mean, coming alone to a a brand-new church, you know how scary that is? That is a difficult thing to do if you've never experienced church or it's a new church and that kind of thing. And so this is a situation where people, they're eager to be invited, but as you listen and ask questions, maybe you go with them and join them. Or how about this one? This is the fourth category I've noticed over the years, and this is what I call re-church people. This is a situation where somebody grew up churched, but they go off to college, they get married, new job, new career, move away. And for one reason or another, church just kind of falls off the radar. And they're not a part of a local church. But then at some point in their life, later in life, they realize, you know what, I think I'd like to get back. I think I've miss being a part of a church family. Sometimes this happens when like, a couple gets married, they want to start a family, and they realize they have kids. And they're like, you know, I'd like to get my kids plugged in to a local church. And so these are re-churched people. Now, all, why do we cover all that? All that to say is just one example of when you ask questions and you listen to people, you learn about where they're coming from, and you can learn better how to interact with them, how to help them, how to spend time with them, how to encourage them. So important, but so often overlooked. So so here's our first tool. The first tool is listen and ask questions. Here's tool number two. (coughs) Sorry, tool number two is this, address moralism. Now maybe you're thinking, okay, what? Like You lost me on this. I had you on listening to ask questions, but moralism, what are we talking about? One of the things that you'll find as you interact with people is that oftentimes you will discover as you listen and ask questions that there's people that carry around bad ideas. I say, well, what's a bad idea? A bad idea is an idea that's not true. And we all believe things that aren't true. I mean, we want to believe things that are true, but we all carry around a web of beliefs and some of our beliefs are not true. And so sometimes we have to help people unlearn the things that they've learned. We have to help people You know, point things in, with gentleness and respect, point things out in people's life to help them understand maybe where they're misunderstanding something. And I've observed over the years, moralism is one of those areas. It's not the only, but it's one of them. And here's what I've found over the years. First, what is moralism? Moralism is this. It's the idea that compared to other people, I'm a good person. Ever interacted with somebody who has that idea? That compared to somebody else, I'm a pretty good person. And this becomes kind of a subjective, uh, a sliding scale approach where we, where we interact and we evaluate ourselves based on how we perceive other people. So, so compared to this group over here, I'm way better. I may not be as good as this group over here, but on the whole, I'm a pretty good person. And as a pretty good person, that means I'm approved by God. That's kind of the mindset. And so just so long as I approach life, and if I have my kind of sliding scale or my way to scale, as long as my good outweighs my bad, then I'm okay. That's, that's kind of my approach to life. That's moralism. But what's the problem with that? Well, the problem is, how do you ever know? I mean, seriously, how do you ever know you've been good enough? How do you ever know that your good has outweighed your bad or that you've done enough good to counteract the bad? And I don't know about you, but people that I've interacted with that have this idea, there's a lot of anxiety with that. Because the truth of the matter is you never really can know. And so in that situation, I'm going to share with you a little illustration I've used over the years. It's so simple. And you can use this as well just in your own uh, life as you interact with people. And here's what I'll do. I'll pull out a piece of paper and a napkin at restaurant, something like that. And I will draw something like this. Now, if I had a whiteboard, I could do that. We're just going to rely on the PowerPoint slides behind. So just follow along there. But what I'll do is I'll write the name God at the top of the paper. Uh, Why? Well, because God represents perfection. He is perfect. He's holy. He's without sin. He is that picture and standard of perfect. And then at the very bottom of the page, I'll write worst of humanity. If you want to plug in a name, be my guest. You know, if you're thinking of somebody that comes to mind and you just want to plug that name in because it feels good, I don't know. But you just you plug that in there, so the worst of humanity. This is the most unholy, sinful, just kind of despicable, slimy, worst picture of humanity that you could have. So you have these two extremes, perfect holy God and the worst of humanity. And that vertical line, what that represents is that sliding scale approach for, for what is good and what's not good, really of being moral. And then I'll do this. I'll say, you know, we've got this picture, got the top, worst of you man at the bottom, and we've got this sliding scale. I said, you know I, know, I know he's passed away, but could you imagine just with me for a moment that, that you were able to have lunch with Billy Graham and you were able to interact with Billy Graham and, and you could ask the question, and I'm asking you this question now, but where, where do you think Billy Graham fits on a scale like this? I mean, this guy spent his life devoted, to telling people about Jesus, devoted to ministry, he spent his life uh, you know, serving Christ. Uh, he was very clear though, wasn't he, that he said, look, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I mean, that, that's, he knew who he was. And so where's Billy Graham? And just for the sake of argument, we'll just put him there. Now notice, there's no right or wrong answer. It's all subjective, that's the problem. But let's put Billy there. Say, okay, thank you, that's good. So now let, let's talk about somebody else. And I'm just picking kind of famous people. How about Mother Teresa. I mean, Mother Teresa is Mother Teresa, right? I mean, I know she, again, she's passed away now, but could you imagine asking her where she thinks she fits on this scale? I mean, she spent her life devoted to serving people, caring for the outcasts, caring for the poor. I mean, you talk about a picture of good outweighing bad. I mean, you, you, Mother Teresa's pretty good, right? And so what do you think about Mother Teresa? And let's just put her there. I got feedback after her last service. Mother Teresa should be higher than Billy Graham. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> We're just going to go with it. It's just what it is. Okay. And so I say, and then, uh, then I, what I'll do with people, I'll say, you know, um, I'm going to put myself on the scale. Because I love Jesus, but um, I can look back on my life and there's a lot I regret. If I could go back, I would do things a lot differently. I really would. And so I, I don't know. I guess I'll put myself there. And then I'll hand them the pen. I'll say, how about you? Go ahead, go ahead and write your name in there somewhere. And what you will find is they'll probably put their name pretty low on the scale. You can put it high, that's okay. But what this does, it just kind of calls out this picture of moralism in this subjective sliding scale for for what's good enough. And good outweighing bad. And then I'll just take them to scripture and say, you know, here's the deal though. The Bible is really clear. That, that doesn't work, and that's not even true. It's, it's, it's a bad idea. In fact, the picture we get in Scripture, and what I'll do, next slide, is I'll draw a horizontal line across the top. And the picture you get in Scripture is that God has this standard, and the standard is perfection. And so you have to be above this line. You have to be up there perfect as God is perfect. Jesus even said, be holy as I am holy. And, and, and so everybody else below that line hasn't reached the standard. You're just, you're just a sliding scale person still below the line of what's required to be right with God. And then I'll share with them Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You see there, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in the Greek, that word all, it means all. That means everyone. That means there's no exception. That means if you take human history and all the billions of people, you can slice them into two camps. There's all of us. And we all wear the black hat. We're all the villain. We're all falling short. And then there's one who gets to wear the white hat, the hero, the one who never sinned, and that's Jesus. That's one way to slice up humanity. We've all fallen short and, fall, uh, and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it doesn't matter if you're Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, you or me or anyone else, we're below the line. But you know, in the midst of this bad news, because the bottom line is, uh, that's tragic. The bottom line is, if that's where the story ends, um, that's not going to work out well for anybody. But in the midst of that place, and I made it red just to make it obvious, the cross shows up. It's the cross that obliterates the divide, this, this moralistic uh, line of subjective ideas for who's good and who's bad. That it's the cross that takes that completely out of the way. That it's the cross of Christ who says the only way that you and I will ever have a redeemed, restored relationship with, with, with the Lord is through Jesus. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross that's the only way it works. There's no other way around it. In the midst of the, of the bad news, the good news of the gospel shows up right in that place. Now I know that comes across as a presentation, but the beautiful thing with that is you have a napkin over lunch or you're just interacting with somebody on a piece of paper. It opens up points of dialogue and conversation. And then at some point, what I'll try to do is take them to one verse. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. A verse I think that captures the gospel so well. Here's what it says. It says, for Christ... Died for sins once for all. And that's that cross. That Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous, or in the Greek that word, a better translation is instead of. So the righteous instead of the unrighteous. Meaning, meaning the, the death, the penalty should have been ours to pay, but instead of us, it was Jesus. He stepped forward and takes the punishment. So Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous instead of the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. That he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the spirit. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And, and, and this is just one avenue. And, and really, all we're talking about here is just picking out through listening and asking questions, different places where people have bad ideas. And culture ingrains this in us. Even religious systems ingrain this in sometimes in churches. If you're just good enough, give enough, serve enough, show up enough, whatever, then you're right with God. That's not how it works. It's the gospel. It's completely different. And so learn to listen and ask questions. Addressing things like moralism. And here's our third and final tool for this morning. The forgotten key to sharing your faith. It's unity. And I don't know about you, but if, if you thought about it, or we, we kind of line up all these different tools of naturally sharing your faith, this is probably the one that's so often forgotten. But did you know that how you and I treat each other is a testimony is an example, is a witness to a watching world. That's really true. I mean, if you find a local church and they're cold to each other or mean to each other, that's not attractive. There's nothing with that where people say, I'd like to be a part of that community, sign me up. That just doesn't happen. You see in scripture over and over again, there's so many commands. Love each other. Be kind to each other. Serve each other. Give preference to one another, to others, to others. Submit to one another. I mean, all these different commands that we have. Why? Because how we treat each other is a testimony. It's part of our witness to a watching world. It's how we as a church, and we're so diverse in who we are as people. People in different life stages, socioeconomic places, uh, experiences, current challenges and struggles, raising kids, kids are empty nesters. I mean, we just have the whole gamut here. But it's this that brings us together, this common love for Jesus, this common commitment to his mission. That's what brings us together from all different stations of life. Unity is a big deal. It was a big deal to Jesus. And did you know that when Jesus was here on earth, he prayed for you? Do you know that? that? He spent time and he prayed, now it wasn't by name, New Hope Church, Adel, Iowa, but, but we're a part of this prayer where Jesus is taking time praying for you and I. What do you think he prayed about? Well, let me share this with you. It's in John chapter 17. The whole chapter is this beautiful prayer. And, and you want to just see how Jesus is pouring out his heart and he's praying. And then he gets to verse 20 and we enter into this prayer. Look, look what he says here. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. Meaning the apostles, this early church, this group that's with him. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. He says, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. This is the history of the church. This is, this is those that would follow their apostles in the early church and all the way down to us today. We're a part of this. He says, I pray, I pray for them too. What? What was the prayer? That all of them may be one. Unity. Father, just as as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. That's what he prayed for. That as you come together and as you and I and us as a church, we love each other. And I see so many expressions of that at New Hope. It's just a beautiful thing to behold. The church, being the church to one another as we do this, not just here on Sundays, but as we do this swinging a hammer on Love Adele Day or, or serving street ministry in Chicago next month or whatever it is with VBS coming. I mean, all these things that we're doing, that's a picture that the Bible is true, that Jesus is alive and that lives are being transformed to this very day. They see it in your life and they see it in our community. You know, the early church, they didn't have cool radio stations, they didn't have big buildings, they didn't have technology and video and Facebook and they didn't have uh, a lot of public preaching because if you stood on a corner and preached a sermon, it'd probably be your last sermon. And it wasn't reputable, respectful, uh, respectable to be a, a Christian even. that, if you decide you want to follow Jesus, there's a good chance you're gonna lose your job, maybe lose your house and lose your place in society. So why did the church grow? Why did they grow in such massive numbers right at the beginning? If you look back at church history, the reason is because the church became this, this alternate society. And I don't mean cut off like monks and dis- disconnected from community, but this alternate society where people there loved each other so deeply and walked with each other such meaningful ways and that anybody else in the outside community looking in, they were welcome to be a part of that as they served other people. And so this early church picture you had, you had rich and poor people coming together. And you had, you had uh, 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 those who were powerful and influential and those of no account coming together in the same church. You had the, you had the cool crowd and you had the social myth, misfits that don't fit anywhere. They're all coming together in one community, all equal at the foot of the cross. It's a beautiful thing. And so as we love each other, this is an unawkward, natural way that you and I can show and share the love of Jesus with others. So those are our tools this morning. Uh, we've, got, we've got listening and asking questions. We've got things like addressing moralism or other types of things that aren't true. Uh, we've got this one here of, of unity and how unity paints a picture for, for, uh, for sharing uh, uh, Christ with other uh, people. These, again, these are all just such important tools that we can, we can use in our lives. And so my encouragement is, again, to pick one. Which one for you do you find the most helpful? Why does it matter? Because, again, people's eternal destination is, a, is, a, is, a, is at play. Remember in Acts chapter 2, as we begin to close this morning. Remember, remember Peter got up and he, uh, he shared the gospel about Jesus. And then the crowds were there. And we just read in verse 37 that the crowds were, 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 were answering, what, what, what must we do? How do we respond to this message of Christ? What happened next? What was the answer? Here it is. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It says that Peter replied, and here it is, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for their forgiveness of sins. Repent and be baptized. What, what does this mean? Just As we close this morning, I just wanna close these two ideas because this is so important because this is not only about you having a chance to interact with other people and be able to share this with other people, but I think we'd be remiss this morning if we also didn't just take a moment to say, how about you? Have, have you in your own life said yes to Christ? Have you also made this decision as outlined here, repent and be baptized? So what does repent mean? Well, repent is a word that simply means to turn in the other direction 180 degrees. So the idea is this, that you're you're going along in life and you're going one direction, and when you repent, you stop, literally turn 180 degrees. That's what repentance means. It means you're going one direction, you turn the other. Now here's the key. Sometimes we have this picture of faith that that as I'm going along in life, and let's say I'm going in a direction maybe I shouldn't be going or I'm, I'm living life on my terms, but God gets a hold of my heart and I hear this message of Jesus and I'm going along and I make the decision I want to repent. I'm going to turn and go the other direction. There's this idea sometimes that now what I have to do that I've repented is I have to by works find my way back to God. That he's somewhere over there tapping his toe, wagging his finger, saying I'm waiting for you, about time you repented. And that somehow I've got to navigate my way through works to try to get my way back to God. But that's not true at all. Again, a belief that we hold to sometimes that isn't true. The picture we get in scripture, rather, is that Jesus is pursuing you. That as you're going along in life in your direction, doing your thing, that he's right there behind you, never leaving you, never forsaking you, always pursuing you. Such that when you come to a place and you say, you know what, I'm going to repent, and you turn the other direction and you do that, he's right there. Loving you, waiting for you, and longing for that relationship with you. That's what repentance looks like. It's simply turning the other direction and saying, I receive you and I receive your free gift, the gospel gift. Of forgiveness, So we have repent and the second we have is baptized. Now don't read into this that we have to be baptized to be saved. That's not true at all. The baptism is this public declaration of your faith that you have. That you have in your life repented and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you repented and have you been baptized? I mean in your life. Not just to share this with other people. In your life. In a moment, I'm gonna give us all a chance, give you a chance to do just that, to repent. But on the baptism part, I just wanna take a moment and highlight that you have an opportunity to get baptized. Next Sunday, this is a great Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be incredible. You, you don't wanna miss this day. Besides the fact it's Father's Day and we've got some really, really cool surprises for dads, guys, and really, honestly, for everybody. It's gonna be a great time. We are setting up tents outside and a baptism tub, and we are doing baptisms next Sunday. We've already got three people lined up to get get dunked. It's gonna be a great celebration time. Now, here's the key. Just give me a second to do a commercial on this because this is important. We're doing it in between services, not in the service. So you come into second service. If this is your preferred service, you wanna come early next week. We're gonna be outside. Come about 10 o'clock and be a part of the festivities. It's gonna be a great celebration. And so I want to invite you, give you a chance to say, you know what, you could sign up today to be baptized. Here's how you do it. When you leave here, there's a table straight in the back. It's got the black tablecloth on. There's a box on there and some cards. It's simply a matter of your name, email, check a box, put it in the box, and that's it. And we'll call you this week. We'll reach out to you. Maybe you have questions, and we can answer your questions. Or maybe you say, you know what, I want to do it. I'm, I'm all in. I, I want to do this. Now, here's the bonus, okay, because something you've seen baptisms here, they're celebrations, they're a lot of fun. But on this baptism, you don't have to stand up here and give a speech. Right? Isn't that huge? So I'm not trying to sell it, but I guess I am. So right, so here's the deal. You don't have to stand up here and share your story. We're doing it all through video. So you'll be videoed this week. We're going to play the stories in the services, both services. And so your story will be told, the story of how Jesus has changed your life. But you don't have to stand up here and do it. Anyhow, it's going to be a special, special celebration. Repent and be baptized. Have you done it? I'd like to invite the band to come on if you would, please. And um, if you would join me, I want to pray, pray for us, uh, pray, pray for you. And I think we have so much to tell God thank you for. The cross is at the top of the list. And again, my hope is that some of these tools will be an encouragement to you as we move on from Awkward. It's a series we're gonna come back to time and again because this is such an important thing and talk about other ways that we can do this. This is so important. So if you join me, let's pray together and, uh, and then we're gonna close with worship. Father, this morning, uh, we wanna take a moment and tell you thank you. Uh, thank you that as we saw in that illustration that, that while we may be uh, people that, that think we do good works, that ultimately it's your cross, it's the cross that you went and died upon that changes everything. And this morning we tell you thank you. We tell you thank you for grace and forgiveness. We tell you thank you that, that repentance is an offer that stands for all of us. That all we have to do is turn and receive you and begin that new restored relationship with you. Thank you that you went to the cross and died for sins once for all the righteous you instead of us as the unrighteous. This morning we tell you thank you. And just as we're praying and eyes are closed and heads bowed, I'd be remiss if we continue on and I just didn't give a chance for anybody here this morning who says, you know what, I would like to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I would like to begin that new adventure of starting a relationship with Christ. Today's a day I'd like to Repent. And if that's you, you don't have to stand up, walk, sing a song, nothing like that. Just slip your hand up right now because we want to we pray for you. We want to get your resources and encouragement into your hands here this morning. So you can go ahead and do that now if that's where you're at this morning. And it's the same for baptism. You don't have to raise your hand for this. But, but if that's something you'd like to do, I just would encourage you to, to make that decision, to make next Sunday... Just a, a tremendous day of celebration where you publicly declare your faith that you have. On Father's Day of all days, we can celebrate our Heavenly Father who's done such a good work in our life. Father, we love you so much. Lord, we're here for you. We exist for you. We want to be a unified church in you. Father, thank you so much that you've given us a message the world needs to hear. Give us the courage to do so in ways that are natural. In ways that communicate love. Father, we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us?
1: Body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down. shall return in robes of white the blazing sun shall pierce the night and i will Thanks for joining us. Awesome.
0: We have a Leaders Together meeting um, like in 10 minutes or 10 minutes-ish. So join us there. And also if you felt the Holy Spirit nudging you and either repenting and turning to Jesus or getting baptized, make sure you find someone to pray with and tell someone. So have a great week.